What's up, everybody, and welcome in on back to the Blitz on the Balcony podcast. I am your host, Zach Zook, and we have another big week of football to talk about. We're in the full swing of the offseason. After the draft is when things really slow down, but we still got a lot to talk about, kind of recapping the draft, all the fifth-year options were uh, picked up or declined uh, as of this week. That all came down. So we'll go over kind of what that means for uh, these clubs. Also talk about this year's draft and how these players might fit. We'll finally examine, you know, we, we focus so much on the player during the draft process, and I think we can get real into the weeds, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, the biggest draft nerd in the world. But uh, we get real into the weeds on the player, and then... I talked about this in the fall leading up to the draft. The fit is ultimately what matters the most and whether or not the player will translate to wins and losses. Like, Because again, you can get so excited about this, this guard that slips to the fourth round, but at the end of the day, is that impact in wins and losses? You know, we'll examine the 2019 draft picks and see uh, uh, where I think there is going to be the biggest impact of players when we look back in three years of how it's going to impact teams wins and loss wise uh, where they stand now as to where they were and where they could be three years from now if these players turn out to to pan out so uh, we'll do half the league we'll do uh, I think the east and the south divisions also want to talk about Andy Dalton signing with the Cowboys and then what that means for the Pats because I think he was really the last viable option for the New England Patriots to pick up to start for the 2020 season. I think now they're pretty much rolling out Jared Stidham. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And then an early look at the 2021 quarterback prospects, of course, led by Trevor Lawrence. There's really three guys that I wanted to uh, talk about in the 2021 class. But let's start with the 2017 draft class. They have now uh, played three seasons in the NFL and the big story in the media this week has been that uh, four out of the top five picks had their options declined. And when you look back at the 2017 draft in the first round, uh, it felt you were either hitting a home run or striking out on three pitches. It was a home run or strikeout draft. There just weren't a lot of singles and doubles hit. There were kind of in the teens and the 20s, and we'll talk about that. But especially at the top of the draft, you had, of course, Mitch Trubisky, which I think is the most interesting decline. Uh, the Bears decline his option. And what this means for, like, I want to hone in on the Trubisky option a little bit because I think it's the most interesting in the draft because you had a team in the Chicago Bears that traded the farm to move up one pick from three to two to ensure that they took Mitchell Trubisky ahead of two quarterbacks in Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes who have become superstars. It's It's been one of the most talked about moves and Ryan Pace has been had his name drugged through the street and probably rightfully so, but we're, the, the question was going to be, are they going to pick up his option or not? Because a lot of the times when you have a situation like this and the player isn't panning out, you mortgage your future on him. You were so sure that he was going to be good. A lot of times what front offices and GMs can do is compound their mistakes and not be willing to admit that, hey, guy's just not very good. And they'll pick up the option. And I was interested to see if the Bears were going to do that. So they do not, which is obviously the smart move. I mean, Mitch Trubisky has been terrible as the number two pick for Chicago. They signed Nick Foles. And because of the decline on the option, I think it's now in play for Nick Foles to start week one for the Bears. I still am of the belief that I think Mitch Trubisky is going to have the job coming out of camp. And we'll see. I think it will be more now of a true quarterback competition since they haven't picked up his option they're really not tied to him loyally or contractually, so it makes no sense. They don't have to start feel like they're forced to start him just because of the money or the commitment because after this year, he's gone. So if they just want to have him lose the job this year and give it to Foles, then they, they can do that and move on from him relatively easy. So I still do think at the end of the day, they're going to give him one last chance to turn it around, uh, and, and we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think Nick Foles is obviously the better quarterback of the two. Neither of them are very good. And what was interesting is I heard an interview with Matt Nagy talking to a guy that he used to work with, a personnel guy that does a podcast now that I listen to. 
and he had interviewed Matt Nagy. They worked together in uh, Philadelphia, and he told him that you know he it, he was still believing in in Mitch it seemed like and it was still going to be Mitch's job in 2020 they he knew he had to play better but he was still going to get another shot and your words and your actions here if you're the Chicago Bears are two completely different things and what I would advise the the average NFL fan or viewer to listen to is always the actions because the team is going to tell you what they think of the player Matt Nagy says, oh, we, we like Mitch. Like we, He knows he's got to play better. It's still going to be his job. Well, you sign Nick Foles and you decline the fifth-year option on Trubisky. So clearly you don't think Mitch is very good. So it'll be really interesting to see who gets the job coming out of camp. If a gun to my head, I still got to say it's Trubisky because I think they'll give him one more chance to start. Then when he flounders week four or five, they go to Foles and I think the Trubisky era is over in Chicago. But the other four picks now, if we can get to the the rest of this top five, you had Solomon Thomas declined by the 49ers. You had Leonard Fournette declined by the Jaguars. And Corey Davis declined by the Titans. And two of those guys were viewed at as the time as a reach by the majority of, of people in the media. I actually thought Corey Davis was awesome coming out. I still do think he's a really good football player, a technician, a route runner, just a really, really good wide receiver. I think Corey Davis's situation in, in Tennessee is just that, a situation where a player didn't fit the offense or what the philosophy of the team was trying to do. I think uh, his connection with Marcus Mariota just wasn't there, and Marcus Mariota isn't a very good passer. And so uh, I think that really derailed Corey Davis's career, and that's what we're going to talk about in a little bit with some of these 2020 draft picks. It, I mean, sometimes it's not always the player, and I, I'll be really interested to see what the next chapter of Corey Davis's career has in store because I think if he can get on a different team and a different offense that better uses his skill set— that he could actually have a really good career. And I'm a little biased. Both my parents graduated from Western Michigan. I watched, because of that, I watched almost every snap he played in college. He was statistically the best college receiver, I think, of all time, like in terms of receptions, career receptions or yards. Uh, So he was very, very talented coming out. And I believed in the talent, whether he plays in the MAC or not. I mean, you still get plenty of good players that come out of the MAC, regardless of the competition level. Uh, and I, he, he hasn't been a terrible player. It's just AJ Brown burst onto the scene. He clearly developed a connection quickly with Ryan Tannehill. Uh, they spent a, a, I think a second round pick on AJ Brown, uh, who was highly touted coming out of Ole Miss. And so they're prepared to move on from Corey Davis. And so that's why they end up declining his option. Solomon Thomas, I think just flat out, just didn't turn out to be a very good player. It wasn't a very good pick. He had his ups and downs, especially mentally. I know he was going through some off-the-field stuff in terms of depression and some anxiety, and so you never obviously like to see that, and I think that derailed his career a little bit. But uh, from people that watch tape that I've heard and uh, from what I've seen from him on the NFL field, he's just not a very good player. So the 49ers, luckily, they have an embarrassment of riches on the defensive line, and they're using him as a rotational piece. And he's fine as a rotational player, but you didn't invest the third overall pick in Solomon Thomas to be a rotational player. You invested the third overall pick in him to become Aaron Donald, to become Nick Bosa, to become D. Ford, right? You invested that pick uh, for him to become the, the monster on the defensive line that they had a season ago. I mean, DeForest Buckner, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, the list goes on, right? But the the final player in the top five, four out of the five picks got their got their fifth-year option to climb. I mean, it's just, it really is kind of astounding. But Leonard Fournette is the one of the, of the five that I think, if you look at his actual production, he warrants the fifth-year option being picked up. Now, Corey Davis, I think, is a good player too, but you can't argue that the production... It's just not working, right? You had to move on from him. Well, Leonard Fournette's had a lot of success. And here's a stat that really jumped out to me. Do you know Leonard Fournette caught 70 passes last year? I mean, we look at him as this downhill bruiser. But Leonard Fournette caught 70 passes in the offense last season. Now, not all receptions are created equal, and they force-feed the ball to some of these guys to... I think help justify the value and what they end up paying them. I know that the Cowboys have done that with Zeke, and he, I mean, he's just not a very good receiver. It's just it is what it is. But uh, Leonard Fournette did a nice job in the receiving part of the game, and he's had 
spurts of great success. He's had very high, very high highs in the NFL, and he's had tumultuous lows in the NFL. And from what I've gathered from the situation, Jacksonville has a new regime taking over. They've gotten rid of some personality guys in uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey, and now uh, and now obviously Leonard Fournette's on the block. They he had ru- been rumored to be traded around the NFL draft, and they're probably just going to run him into the ground this season and say bye. But he's I've heard he's a, a big pain in the ass in the locker room, and that's why. The, the Jags d- decide not to pick it up. I mean, there's no value in, in in running backs. And I mean, even from 2017 to now, you think about the running backs that went in the first round that uh, we just, we didn't see a single one. Oh, we did. Well, we did. Clyde over Hilaire went to the, went to the Chiefs at 32. But uh, we had Christian McCaffrey go in the first round. We had Leonard Fournette go in the first round. Zeke went in the top 10. I'm trying to think if you had, let me see if in this 2017 class, they had anybody else. Go in the first. I don't believe so. No, they're yeah, they were the only two running backs taken. But I think even Jacksonville realizes now the shift in uh, where the value is at certain positions, and it they wanted to get the big back and run it downhill and pound the ball and play defense, and which which they did very well, and that was kind of the formula under Tom Coughlin. Well, Tom Coughlin's gone. They're they're ushering in a new age down there, and so. They're saying, you know, Leonard Fournette, kind of a cancer in the locker room, you know, hurt a lot, not really worth it. So that so they decided to to decline his option. So here's one thing that I think we we always think in the draft, and especially since the draft just happened, I think this is good to keep in mind. You always think, oh, well, they they drafted a tackle 15th overall. There's their uh, bodyguard for uh, Sam Darnold for the next 15 years. There's the bodyguard for Kyler Murray for the next 10 to 15 years. But very rarely does, like, it doesn't always pan out like that. I mean, on average, 40% of first-round draft picks get their fifth-year option picked up. That's less than half. 40% get picked up. I mean, that's kind of astounding when you think about it. And so then when you go back and you look at the numbers, like in 2017, you had four of the top five get rejected. It it, it really it really puts it into perspective of like, you, you got about a 50-50 chance that this guy just stinks. He's just not very good. And, and, you're, and you're not going to be picking up his option. And I think we fall in love with these college players when they're coming out. And again, I'm as guilty of this as anybody, but the fit in the scheme and the coaching and when he gets placed into the offense and how the coaches decide to use him, that all plays so much more of a factor than I think a lot of us are willing to admit. And I think that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an easy thing to do. It's a lazy thing to do to just say, to just say well, you know, he kind of sucks. He just kind of sucks. But the fit in the scheme, the timing, it, it all matters, right? And the fact of the matter is, one in two of these guys is going to be dropped into a situation, whether it's for talent, lack of talent, you just missed on the eval, or whether it's from a fit purpose, they're not going to get their fifth year options picked up. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about. Uh, then you got the guys that did get picked up. Let's take a look at those. Some teams hit some home runs on these players. I mean, you think about the Browns at 29, David Njoku. They pick up his fifth-year option. I know he was hurt all of 2019, but a really good player, really good tight end to get at the back end of the first round. Probably the biggest steal of the draft. I mean, beyond the Chiefs taking Patrick Mahomes, they still took him 10th overall, and the Texans took Deshaun 12. But the Steelers grabbing T.J. Watt at 30, I would argue T.J. Watt warrants like a top three pick. I mean, when you think about the Steelers got T.J. Watt at 30, and the Bears took Mitch Trubisky, the 49ers took Solomon Thomas, the Jags took Leonard Fournette, and the Titans took Corey Davis all ahead of T.J. Watt. Then you get some of these other guys that were declined further on, like the Bengals took John Ross in the top 10, Hassan Reddick for the Cardinals. These guys all went ahead of T.J. Watt. So I think that is clearly the steal of the draft. I mean, the Steelers do do, do a Great job. Ryan Ramchek at 32, final pick of the first round to the Saints. Great pick. Outstanding guard down there for New Orleans. Then you get the guys 
that had their fifth-year option picked up that have just been okay. Like, Jonathan Allen did a little bit better in 2019. The Ravens really crushed it with the with the Marlon Humphrey pick at 16. Derek Barnett for the Eagles, like, he's been okay. Like, about what you'd expect. Evan Ingram for the Giants, he's had some ups and downs. Jabril Peppers on the Browns, now on the, uh, now on the Giants, had his picked up. So, like, there's some guys that you expected, but I think the steals of the draft... T.J. Watt, Ryan Ramchick, David Njoku, the Bills grabbing Trey White at 27. I could make an argument that he's the best corner that was drafted in the first round. And that is a draft that includes Marshawn Lattimore, who is very, very good. Adoree Jackson to the Titans at 18. I think it's there's no argument that Trey White's better than him. I mean, Tredavious White to the Bills at 27. Some of these teams that drafted at the back and really hit homers. And that's just what this draft felt like. It was a home run or strikeout draft. Uh, look at some of the other guys that got declined before we move on. John Ross at, at nine of the Bengals. I mean, it, it felt like it wasn't going to work the second they picked him. And I was not a big John Ross guy coming out. Now, it'll be interesting to see because I am kind of a Henry Ruggs guy coming out. Wouldn't have taken him where the Raiders took him with the players available on the board. But I do believe in the player and believe in the talent. I did not believe in the talent with John Ross. He was literally a, just a 40 time. And the Bengals took him at nine overall. It's uh, it, it, you could tell it wasn't going to work out when you get when you got a guy like that that you feel like is a, just a, a tempting pick that you probably shouldn't make, especially in the top ten and a perennial you know losing franchise like like the Bengals makes the pick. You don't feel good about that player's future, and that has ended up happening for the Bengals. But luckily, Cincinnati hit on Tyler Boyd at a pit. And they have A.J. Green. So it didn't hurt them from a positional sense that much. Now, obviously, you would have loved to have a better player. But uh, John Ross, one of the bigger whiffs. Luckily for the Bengals, uh, there were so many whiffs in the top five that we don't really talk about the John Ross pick that much. But that was just as bad as the Trubisky pick, as the Solomon Thomas pick. And uh, while Leonard Fournette, again, has had some success in his career, they took him at four overall. And what makes it worse is that it was in a draft with Christian McCaffrey. Like, you took a running back top five, and you didn't even take the right one because Christian McCaffrey is now the highest-paid running back in the NFL off his, fresh off his four-year extension. So some of these other guys, we'll just run through it. Uh, Malik Hooker with the Colts has had some injuries, hasn't really, hasn't really had it work out for him. Uh, he got it declined. Garrett Bowles uh, for the Broncos has not been very good. Uh, for really from the moment he's been drafted. Gerard Davis from uh, the Lions got declined. Charles Harris for the Dolphins. He's already basically out of the league, out of Missouri. The edge player, uh, he has not had a good career. Really just disappeared from the moment he got drafted. Tack McKinley, Falcons 26. Gary and Conley, Raiders 24. And then uh, Ruben Foster, uh, really good player, but just hasn't been able to figure it out off the field. So let's move on now to uh, the 2020 draft. That kind of wraps it up for uh, the 2017 draft. And one last thing I'll say about the 2017 draft and about these guys that get declined. It can end up actually being sometimes a really good thing for them because sometimes it just takes some time to put it together. Like maybe Corey Davis goes for 1,000 yards and eight or nine touchdowns this year. Well, then he's going to be looking at a pretty lucrative contract. Sometimes in, in that fourth year of the contract, you can make yourself a lot of money. So there are some of these guys that had their option declined, like Corey Davis. Like, I mean, if Leonard Fournette, I mean, nobody really likes him right now. His reputation in the NFL is pretty bad. But if he just tears the league up next year, he's going to get a contract and he's going to get a pretty lucrative one. Malik Hooker, same thing. Like if if people believe in the talent. I mean, when you're a first round pick, the, it, the talent is rarely the issue. Like with Solomon Thomas, just a whiff on the eval, but you have to understand why the player has struggled. Like for Corey Davis, I don't really think it's a talent thing. It's more of a usage thing. Uh, so like if he has a good season, regardless of whether or not he has a good season, I could see him getting a D, I could see NFL teams being interested in him and him still having a, 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 a fine second chapter to his career, uh, even though it doesn't work out with his with his first team and he ends up getting the option declined, right? So don't write these guys off just because they had their option declined. I mean, if Mitch Trubisky, I mean, this probably is not going to happen, but let's say Mitch Trubisky just lights up the world uh, in, in 2020. The Bears go back to the playoffs. He's playing great. Uh, 
and they, maybe they win a playoff game, then Trubisky's going to probably get extended, and he's going to make a ton of money doing so because it, that contract year is so important. So uh, it's really these guys' last chance to kind of prove uh, their worth. So let's move on to the 2020 draft. We'll do the uh, AFC, NFC East. We'll do the AFC, NFC South. And I'll just kind of run through the picks, and we won't spend a ton of time on it, but just talk about the fit. I think the Buffalo Bills, when you look at their culture, uh, they don't have a lot of stars on the team, right? They just have a lot of really solid players. And I thought they continued with that in this draft. Uh, AJ Epinesa from Iowa perfectly fits that mold. He's a guy that isn't going to be Nick Bosa, right? Coming off the edge. He's a 4-3 defensive end, hand-in-the-dirt guy, can play the run as good as he can play the pass, but not really elite at either, right? So he he's a perfect fit for Buffalo. I mean, I, I'll be really shocked if he doesn't end up becoming a pretty good player. Uh, and I was high on the talent coming out, I think higher than the NFL was, the for the most part, the GMs, because he, he was their first pick in round two at pick 54. But I really like, with, like, like what they do, did with him and then with Zach Moss too. Now, this confused me a little bit because I thought Devin Singletary was a really good back for them and that he was going to carry the load. But nowadays in the NFL... It's so rare that you see one guy carry the load in a backfield. And so they get Zach Moss, who has pretty, uh, he's kind of your your downhill back, right? And Singletary, I think, is a pretty physical guy too. But he, I think, is a more intriguing player because he can do some more things. Zach Moss, maybe more of your battering ram. But they now have a two-headed attack in the backfield. And you need two backs. I mean, it's unless you have Le'Veon Bell, or unless you have Zeke, or unless you have Christian McCaffrey, you need more than one good back. I mean, look at the Packers. They had Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. They're both going into a contract here, so they took another. Now, would I have done that? No way. But that's what they decided to do. And a lot of other teams, have, they used two, three backs in the backfield. I mean, the, the Broncos, for example, in the offseason had a, had a great offseason when you combine the additions in free agency and the draft. They already had Lindsey, Royce Freeman, kind of floundering, but he's okay. He was doing... He was. A, good, a serviceable back to come in there and change the pace when they needed to give Lindsey a blow. Well, they added to that, and they signed Melvin Gordon. So now they have Melvin Gordon, uh, Lindsey, and Royce Freeman. So, like, you have to stack those backs. You need more than one good back if, if you want to run the football, and that's something the Buffalo Bills certainly want to do. They want to run to open up the pass. So I like what the Buffalo Bills did, and I think that their their impact players at the top of the, round, at the, top of the draft are going to have a positive impact on the football team. I think A.J. Epinesa is going to be a quality starter throughout his rookie contract, and I think Zach Moss is going to have some moments splitting the uh, backfield duties with uh, with Devin Singletary. They also took Gabriel Davis, Jake Fromm. Uh, kind of one note on Jake Fromm, kind of bummer he went to a team that has an established franchise quarterback that's also so young in Josh Allen because – the day he got, it's like the day he got drafted. His pro career is already behind the eight ball. I mean, he's ne- he might get one chance to 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 play, and if he doesn't really prove it, he's probably getting ushered out of the league. And I think that the talent from Fromm was a little better than he got given credit for. Now I understand the arm strength necessarily wasn't really there, and he wasn't an elite player in college. And I think the hype on him in college, uh, in the media, outweighed what the NFL actually thought of him. But I thought, especially in a scheme like the Patriots, where he can manage the football game, I think he would have been a fine starter. And I don't think we're ever really going to get to see that play out. I love what the Dolphins did. I, Man, I this is, this is another topic for another day, but I think the Dolphins could, uh, could make some waves in 2020. I love Tua. I think he's the best quarterback in the draft. Uh, I haven't been shy about that. And uh, I think that they made absolutely the right move to get him at five, and they didn't even have to give up either of their other uh, two first-rounders to get him. I thought they'd have to trade up to three with the Lions. They end up sticking and picking and still getting their player. And they did a really good job of not tipping their hand of who they wanted to take. Then they go back and get Austin Jackson, a guy I figured they'd like. I mean, he, he makes sense from a fit perspective. Absolutely. He's a true left tackle, which they need. He's a guy that's played in warm weather out in Cali. He'll do well down in Miami. And then they followed it up with Noig Benogany from Auburn, which I think shocked some people, but I thought he was a borderline first-round talent in the initial mock draft I did a week before the draft. I had him in there uh, going to the Chiefs at 32, and then I dropped him out uh, last second. But uh, he he ends up going 30 to the Dolphins. Uh, He's a track guy. I mean, very fast corner. 
Well, and it, well, it'll be interesting to see where he kind of ends up fitting on the defense. But uh, they get three positions of need and three guys that I think are going to help move them forward because uh, they also get Byron Jones. Uh, the Dolphins do from Dallas. So all of a sudden you got, uh, you've got you completely remade the secondary. You have uh, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, and Noah Igbenogany now. So you have really done a nice job in building your back end. And Robert Flores, uh, a, a defensive-minded head coach, Brian Flores, not Robert Flores. That's the MLB Tonight guy. <laughs> uh, Brian Flores, I, I really li- like and respected what he was able to do with the worst, the worst uh, roster in the NFL in, in his first year, and I think even there, he even grabbed some guys here at the back end of this draft that I think are interesting. The edge rusher uh, Curtis Weaver out of uh, Boise State is the all-time Mountain West uh, sack leader. So, and they were able to get him at pick 164. That's like that's a valuable dart throw. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up hitting and becoming a decent starter. I also like the uh, Jason Strobridge guy from North Carolina. So I think I think Miami did a really nice job. They picked players that are going to fit their scheme, and they clearly have an identity now moving forward. Now, depending on how the team looks in 2020, I think that that 2021 draft next season is really going to we're really going to see what the Dolphins' strategy and philosophy is going to be moving forward. We're going to see that take shape. The New England Patriots uh, had an interesting draft. They always do. They take two tight ends, Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene uh, out of UCLA and Virginia Tech, respectively. They got a couple edge guys, Josh Uche uh, out of Michigan, Anthony Jennings out of Alabama. Their top guy was Kyle Duggar out of Lenora Ryan. Safety, I know a lot of guys liked. A little rich, I think, at 37, but hey, uh, whatever. They they took Michael on uh, Wenu from Michigan as well. Took a kicker in the fifth round. Uh, I mean, just classic, classic uh, Bill things. But what this draft kind of tells me is that the Patriots are getting a little older on defense. And when you take a look around at the defense, I think you're starting to realize, man, a lot of these guys probably aren't going to be here in two to three years. Like when you look at the McCourty twins, when you look at even Stephon Gilmore, uh, who has been amazing for the Patriots. But once that contract runs out, is Bill really going to extend him again? Uh, you, they're having to remake the tight end position now that Rob's gone. They're having to remake the quarterback position now that Tom's gone. This is a transition year for the Patriots. And so I think that Bill tried to grab a lot of defensive guys. I um, mean, aside from the interior offensive lineman from Michigan, they got uh, the offensive tackle from Wake Forest. But it's all all defense and tight end. So uh they, they clearly are trying to remake the defense, especially in, in the front seven. And Kyle Duggar is clearly going to end up, I think, taking the place of, of McCourty in the future. Uh, but they, they're good at the corner position right now. They need some edge pressure. And uh, so I think they did a nice job in addressing that. Uche is uh, kind of your fastball. And Anthony Jennings is kind of uh, your guy that I feel like high upside, low floor. He's had some ups and downs at Alabama, but has the physical profile to be a really, really good player in the NFL. That's the pick. Uh, round three, 87 overall, Anthony Jennings, Alabama. It, like If you look back at this draft and one of the guys becomes an all-pro, I think it's Anthony Jennings at Alabama coming off the edge because he has sack potential. He has some, he has some rush moves. Uh, I watched recently uh, for PFF the entire Alabama uh, Southern Miss game. And he was he was a factor in that game and a very good player. And what you see what he's able to do when he's healthy and when he's right, he has he has a very high ceiling. The question is whether or not he's going to reach it, obviously. And that's where that's why he went in the third round. Uh, New York Jets um, they get Makai Becton, the Mountain out of Louisville. They come back, they get Denzel Mims, then they get Ashton Davis. They got an edge Jabari Zuniga. They they really jumped around in terms of positions. They get one of my favorite players in the draft, Bryce Hall, corner out of uh, UVA. Injury issues, but if he's able to stay on the field, I mean, awesome, awesome ability uh, out of UVA. But uh, it, I don't know if these guys are going to hit for the Jets. I think they took some guys. This could end up when you look back at it being a really, really down draft. I wasn't as high on Denzel Mims as some other guys were. Now, I liked him. I think his size and speed is is pretty rare. And if you can get your hands on that, I think that you have to. He really helped himself with his combine, though. And when you look at him actually play, he was a good player, not a great player. Uh, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how he works because I think he's a, in, instantly going to be the top receiver there now that... Uh, 
now that uh, Robbie Anderson's gone, along with Jameson Crowder, who will work the middle in the slot, and then they got the tight ends. But he's going to be the top threat outside immediately. So is he ready for that in the NFL? And then Makai Becton, I feel like whenever you take a guy that big, they're either going to be really good or really bad. So hopefully he can uh, protect the blind side of Sam Darnold. I'm pretty high on him. I think he's a good player. And I think a lot of people... Uh, around the league are as well. Ashton Davis, another interesting one. They got him to pair up with Jamal Adams. And if Jamal Adams, I mean, it feels like he's plotting his exit strategy, uh, they can replace with Ashton Davis, who, again, track background, uh, interesting physical profile with some tools. Uh, he actually absolutely gave Justin Herbert some fits. So so I kind of like what the, what the Jets did as well. I mean, I, I think that the Denzel Mims pick, you could look back at that one and in end up seeing well that was a pretty pretty bad pick but but we'll see Dallas Cowboys I think here hold on ah talking a lot Dallas Cowboys as we get to the NFC East here before we move on CeeDee Lamb Trevon Diggs uh Neville Gallimore Reggie Robinson Tyler Beatish out of Wisconsin uh Bradley and I out of Utah name you heard a lot ended up going in the fifth round uh the steal of the draft in CeeDee Lamb clearly a lot of people had him as the best wide out in the draft. I thought he was second best, but it was really close. They get him to pair with uh, Amari Cooper. And uh, who do they have on the outside? Gallup. So uh, the thing is, like, I, I wouldn't play CD in the slot. I, I really wouldn't. I think you're kind of diminishing his value if you do that. So it'll be interesting to see what Mike McCarthy does there. If he just uses them as rotational pieces, like I would maybe force Gallup in it. Like, is, I know people are kind of high on Michael Gallup. Like, is he that good though? I mean, when you, when you have, compared to CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper out there, don't you like that combo much more than you like uh, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, and then you put CeeDee in the slot? Like, if anything, I think what I'd do is I'd line up Amari in the slot and try to get him some mismatches. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with CeeDee. I really hope they don't put him in the slot, because I think he'd be miscast there. And I think he, I think he'd be hard-pressed to get the value of, of a first-round pick and what, people, what a lot of people think his ceiling could be. I think he'd be hard-pressed to find that value if you force him into the slot. Trevon Diggs out of Alabama, long corner, had his ups and downs in college, uh, struggled against the more elite wide receivers, Jamar Chase in particular, but who didn't Jamar Chase beat, right? So uh, I think he's going to do better when the, the action's in front of him. I think he'll be a zone corner. He would have fit really well in the Seahawks scheme. So I don't know if he's the best fit if you want to play press man. And off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember if the Cowboys do a lot of that. I think, that, I think for the most part, they, 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 they do a combo. I think they play off a decent amount. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what they do with Trayvon Diggs. And the thing is, is Alabama did use him pressed up in man a lot. Uh, again, a guy watched the whole Southern Miss game. They, they did use him in press man a lot. I just don't think that's where his strength is going to be in the NFL. I don't know if he's good enough at, at that particular skill set to lock down the number one wide receivers in the NFL. But he's going to do fine uh, across from Chidobe Awuzie. You had to replace uh, the what you lost in Byron Jones. And Trevon Diggs, who was talked about as potentially being a first-round prospect, I didn't have him there, but he was a lot of the media had him there. Uh I think the value at 51 is about right for him. You get Neville Gallimore then in the third round. I thought this was just a good draft. They jumped around, got a lot of different positions. Reggie Robinson, the guy out of Tulsa, I can't pretend to know very much about him. But Tyler Biash, the kid out of Wisconsin, is a good player. They have had success drafting linemen out of that school in the past. Uh, Bradley and I, uh, the edge player out of Utah, was talked about a lot. Interesting prospect as they try to find some edge presence across from uh, Lawrence. So I thought this was, again, another good draft by the Cowboys. I think, for the most part, the guys fit. As long as they put, just please, put C.D. Lamb outside. Do not put him in the slot. Uh, the New York Giants, they had an interesting draft. They took Andrew Thomas at four overall. I don't think he was the best tackle in the draft, but I think it's a safe pick. I think it helps the Giants uh, do what they want to do. I mean, I think they want to run the football with Saquon and get some weapons and some protection for Daniel Jones. And Andrew Thomas does that. He's very good in the run game. And they can't come back with their second round picks, my favorite one, uh, Xavier McKinney out of Alabama. So I watched after it was on draft weekend, is when I watched the Alabama Southern Miss game. And, you know, I watched Xavier McKinney obviously in the pre draft process, but I just saw him a little differently this time around, especially in the Southern Miss game. I was able to get a little bit more in depth. And 
I think he's going to be a good player in the NFL. And I, I thought he was going to be a good, I mean, I had him in the top 50. It's not like I thought, didn't think he was going to be a good player, but I think in retrospect, I would have maybe put him a little higher. I think getting him at 36 is a great value. In fact, if I was a team, you know, uh, drafting at the back end of the first round, if I didn't need it safety, I would have considered Xavier there. I mean, he's a solid player, a high four guy, hard to see him busting out. Um, he can play with Jabril Peppers, um, uh, so I think that they're, the New York Giants are slowly remaking that secondary. They took Darnay Holmes out of UCLA. He's going to be a slot corner, uh, really a talented guy, just undersized. So he's going to be forced to play the slot, but he, he's a very good corner. So they also signed James Bradbury. That was Gettleman's guy out of Carolina. So, so they're remaking that secondary, and it's going to be, I, I think, a, a very strong part of their team if you give it a couple years. Uh, Shane Lemieux, the guard out of Oregon, he's okay. Matt Matt Pert out of Connecticut, I, I like that pick. Uh, so so they didn't they they take two tackles. They take an interior offensive lineman. So they're trying to do the right things here. I think. I mean, as much as I love to crush Gettleman, they need this 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 uh, Daniel Jones pick to work. And I think that for it to work, you need to be able to protect them, A. You need to get Saquon some open holes to run through, B. And you need to be able to stop a cold. I mean, the Giants had such a tough time on defense last year. Now, the one thing I think that has to be a point of emphasis for them next year is to get playmakers. Now, I know they like Darius Slayton, and they have uh, Sterling Shepard, but those guys I don't think are really impact players in the passing game, at least not compared to... uh, the weapons you'd like to have out there. I mean, not one of their weapons in the passing game, Evan Ingram, uh, Slayton, or Shepard, are as impactful as one of the Cowboys' weapons, like between CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. Uh, like, I don't think either of those... Uh, uh, you, you take either of those players, and they'd instantly be the top weapon on the Giants right now, is, uh, I guess, my point with that. But but you definitely see the draft philosophy. I think, I think the players, for the most part, fit what they're trying to do. Uh, the linebacker Cam Brown out of Penn State, I liked him a little bit better than everybody else did. Uh, I know he's kind of slow, but uh, I, I kind of liked liked that pick. And clearly, they like those types of players because they signed Blake Martinez from the Packers, who is just like that. I mean, just slow, stiff, can't cover, uh, gets his eyes crossed in the hole in the run game sometimes. But he, he's a tackling machine, and that's kind of what Cam Brown was for Penn State, just kind of flying all over the place, making plays. Uh, so I, I thought the Giants, did, they, they did good, not great. I'd say good, not great for the Giants. Philadelphia Eagles, everybody just lost their mind at the first two picks. Uh, and I think from a fit perspective, I think they're, they're a little bit too down on Howie Roseman and the Eagles because I think Jalen Rager projects more as an outside receiver than Justin Jefferson does. And Justin Jefferson, I think, went to the perfect place for him in 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 Minnesota, like he's going to work great in that offense. But Jalen Rager, I think, works better for the Eagles than Justin Jefferson does because of Carson Wentz' skill set, because of how they play in the RPO game. Like throwing these these slant RPOs to Jalen Rager is going to be extremely fun to watch. Like he is much better after the catch than Justin Jefferson is, and you already have the big the big bodied wide receiver in Alshon Jeffrey that can go up and get it. So. I think that the Jalen Rager pick was overblown. I think he's a really good player. Uh, I would have loved for the Packers to get him. And I think he can play in the slot and outside. Like, I think you can use him either way, and he'll be fine. Like, he's versatile in that way. But uh, I think he projects more as in it. Like, if you want a guy on the outside, if you need a guy on the outside, which Philly clearly does, some guys that can separate, because Alshon isn't doing that anymore, then I think Rager is... is uh, a better option for them than Jefferson. I mean, I think I'm in a, the minority on that, but I, I think that they made the right call uh, when it came to Rager over Jefferson just for the offense that they're running. The Jalen Hurts pick, we've talked about that ad nauseum. I, my favorite pick that they made was Kayvon Wallace, the safety out of Clemson. They list him as a corner. He's going to play safety. He's going to be in that Malcolm Jenkins role, and I comped him to Malcolm Jenkins coming out. It's just it's so funny. Like He is going to be just like Malcolm Jenkins, I think in the fourth round, he's going to be one of those guys you look back on, holy shit, they just got like a 10-year starter in the fourth round. I think Jack Driscoll, you could look back and say the same thing about him at Auburn. Uh, I, I know colleagues that I have at PFF love Jack Driscoll. So uh, uh, he could end up being a really good player. Quez Watkins out of Southern Miss, they got him in the sixth round. Uh, I watched him out of uh, 
Southern Miss in that Alabama game. Wasn't that impressed with him. I probably wouldn't have drafted him. But uh, what's interesting is they took Jack Driscoll in the fourth round out of Auburn. Then they went back and they grabbed the left tackle out of Auburn too, Prince Tegawanago. So uh, interesting draft for the Eagles. But I think they got a, a lot of good players. I think they did. And I think that the, their players uh, fit their scheme. Let's move on to the Washington Redskins. And I think that's it. Yeah, then we can move on. Uh, Washington Redskins go Chase Young, Antonio Gibson, Sadiq Charles, Anthony Antonio Gandy-Golden, uh, Khalid Hudson. I thought they did some nice things in this draft. I just think they drafted good players. Sadiq Charles in the fourth round was like a second-round talent, I thought. It was more off-the-field off stuff. And I'm not really all that concerned about his off-the-field stuff because the weed thing isn't as big a deal in the NFL now as it was. You obviously get Chase Young, should be a day-one impact player, one of the best edge rushers in the league. I mean, that's his potential. You get Antonio Gandy-Golden out of Liberty, a guy I really like. I had him rated way higher than everybody else did. I think he's awesome. Comped him to Kenny Galladay. I think he could end up being Kenny Galladay. I, I, and he's that good. Cleek Hudson uh, out of Michigan going in round five to them. Versatile guy for Michigan. Uh, I think he's going to have a better pro career than he was uh, given credit for coming out in the pre-draft process. So I think they got good value there. So uh, that'll do it uh, for the for the impacts and the fits. We're going to save the South because the East, that was pretty long just as it is. So we'll move on to uh, Andy Dalton and then we'll look at the 2021 QBs and get you out of here. We'll do the South next week and we'll do that for the next four weeks, kind of looking at the draft fits and where we think these guys are going to make make kind of a bigger impact. But let's move on to Andy Dalton. And uh, he signs with the Cowboys almost immediately after he's cut. And I think the Bengals did him kind of dirty. I mean, it, you end up cutting him. You don't get anything for him. I think obviously they were trying to trade him and it didn't pan out because everybody in the league knew they were taking Burrow. And the second they took Burrow, they lost all the leverage. So then they had to cut him. But I think this is like, and I hate to crush the Bengals here, but th this is why... You know, certain certain videos or, or cer certain franchises. Sorry, something popped up in my head. Uh, popped up on my computer and I said videos. Um, this is why certain franchises, though, are the way that they are. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a reason why the Bengals haven't won a Super Bowl. And it's stuff like this. Like, this is just not a way to treat your player. And they got great value out of Andy Dalton, I think, for being a second-round quarterback. Like, he did fine. Had a lot of success there. In, in a place where not a lot of players have had success. And he's been nothing but a model citizen and a franchise leader for them since he walked into the facility. And what you do is you hold on to him through the free agency period so he's completely stuck while Teddy Bridgewater gets a deal in Carolina, while the rest of the free agent quarterbacks sign. And then you release him after the draft where he has no place to go. And so... He signs in Dallas, which I thought was interesting how quickly he signed, and he hasn't said anything about it. I just think that they did him a little dirty. They gave him no opportunities to become a starter in 2020. Now, the Pats could have signed him and made him a starter, but they obviously didn't. They didn't like him. They clearly were rolling with Stidham the second Tom Brady left they, because they had chances to get a number of other guys, and they decided to stick with Stidham and, and ride him out for a year, knowing that the cost to acquire any of those players a year later is not going to be more expensive than it is now, right? Like if they want to sign Andy Dalton after 2020, they're going to be able to do it for maybe even cheaper than they could right now, right this second. So he ends up signing though with the Cowboys, which is interesting from a fit perspective because he has no clear path to the starting job because Dak is firmly entrenched there. It's a great move for the Cowboys because it gives them a little bit of leverage over Dak Prescott in the negotiation. Like clearly Dak has a number in mind where he's not budging. Like, I don't know what it is. And and I kind of respect the Cowboys for not budging on it because Dak is a good, not great player. And he clearly thinks he deserves to be paid like a Carson Wentz talent. And he's just not. He clearly thinks that he needs to be paid like the upper echelon guys. And I think he's a borderline top 10 QB, but he is not in the same stratosphere with those guys when it comes to talent and the ability to carry the football team. He has one of the best rosters in football and has had one of the best rosters in football since he came into the league. And that is largely what the success of the Dallas Cowboys has been predicated on, the team. Not Dak Prescott carrying them. And he has had great stats, 
and he has done a fine job. He's a good quarterback. And I think sometimes when you're trying to make an argument for not paying the guy what he thinks he's worth, you get pushed into a corner where you're crushing the player. Like, I don't think Dak's a bad player. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a great player. Like, I don't think he's worth $100 million. And neither are the Cowboys, clearly. So I think signing Andy gives them a little bit of leverage because is the drop-off from Dak to Andy, is especially considering what the Cowboys have on the roster, is it that great? Is it that great of a drop-off? Like, sit there and think about it for for five seconds. Think about the success Andy Dalton's had with those Cincinnati teams when they were coasting through the regular season. Now, they always choked in the playoffs, and that's what people remember. But think about Andy Dalton's play in those seasons. Is it really that much of a difference from what Dak Prescott has given the Cowboys now? If you dropped Andy Dalton into the starting role in, in Dallas, would it be that much of a drop-off to where you could then invest the assets and the money you'd save in letting Dak walk somewhere else? I think that's a very interesting scenario. And so uh, I think it was a good move for the Cowboys. Uh, for Dalton, it's a little puzzling to me. He's from Texas. He gets to at least go back home and be close to his family and what's probably going to be a gap year in his career here. But uh, my three takeaways are, Kind of a shitty move by the Bengals to wait till the draft's over, to wait till free agency's over, and then release him. I mean, that's that's just that's just a, a low-level move. That's a low-level move by an organization that's pretty low-level and has been for a while. Uh, so that's my first takeaway. Second takeaway is a little odd by Andy to uh, to go to a t- to a team where they have an established franchise QB, but a good move by the Cowboys to lock up a good backup in case something were to happen to Dak, and you have a guy on the roster that's fully capable of running the offense, should you say, you know what, Dak? Fine, dude. Well, go see what you're worth on the open market. You're playing quarterback for the Dallas freaking Cowboys, America's team. You know what? You Go go right ahead. Go play quarterback for the Redskins. Go play quarterback for the Panthers, and you 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 go tell me how that work, works out for you because we'll just run it back with Andy, and we'll be fine. So I think that's a great move by the Cowboys. Uh And as this contract negotiation will surely become the story of the league over the next probably six to eight months, uh, I think we'll look back on this as having potentially more impact than we think it has right this moment. The final thing I want to talk about is the 2021 QBs. There's three guys. Trevor Lawrence is clearly the uh, leader in the clubhouse to get drafted number one overall. If he doesn't get drafted number one overall, I'll be shocked. Uh... The next two guys are one you've definitely heard of and one you've probably never heard of. It's Justin Fields out of Ohio State and Trey Lance out of North Dakota State, FCS, same school uh, Carson Wentz went out of. And I think Trey Lance right now, like I've watched them both a little bit. I haven't watched Lance as much as I've watched uh, Fields, obviously, playing at OSU. I don't think Fields is a very good pro prospect right now. And I'm, I reserve the right to change my opinion on this. I want to watch him play, obviously, this next fall and his audition to the NFL, see how he does. But uh, I don't think he's that—I don't think he, his skill set really translates to the pros. He is not as nearly as good of a runner as Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson. But he has prototypical NFL size. He's six foot three. So if he, for him to be a dual-threat quarterback in the NFL— he has to go down kind of the Cam Newton route, but then when you want to go down that route, he's not big enough to do that. Like Cam is still much bigger than Justin Fields is. So then you have to look at him, well, I don't know how much of an impact he's going to be in terms of running the football from the quarterback position. I think he's going to be okay at it, but I mean, he's not going to be any better than even Josh Allen is right now at running the football from the quarterback position. So then I look at it as, okay, well, then he has to provide most of his value as a passer. And when I look at him as a passer, he doesn't have as strong of an arm as Kyler Murray. He is okay as a, in terms of accuracy as a passer, but he certainly doesn't jump off the page as somebody that's special in those areas. And when you look at a guy in Dwayne Haskins, who I think was a much better pro prospect coming out than Justin Fields is, and how he struggled and hasn't really translated to the league, we'll see. I mean, I kind of unfair to crush him. The Redskins were so bad last year. But if he keeps on the trajectory he's on, then you look at the, the quarterback coming out of school that you don't even think is as good as Haskins, Boy, I have a hard time taking him in the first round. And and we'll see. Again, we got to see his senior year. I think uh, a lot of people talk about the Alabama receivers and kind of downgraded Tua for that. Well, look at the weapons 
Ohio State has. I mean, they got guys coming out every year. He had the one of the best run, running backs in college football in J.K. Dobbins that he was able to hand the ball off to. And he still had very, very uh, high-impact guys in the passing game. Terry McLaurin on the Redskins. We've seen the impact that he's had as a rookie. And this past season, even when Terry McLaurin was in the pros, they had uh, K.J. Hill, Benjamin Victor, uh, Chris Olave, he, he's coming back. He's actually probably better than both of those guys. Uh, so they've had weapons in the passing game and in the run game, and they have offensive linemen coming out every year. So when you talk about the the play, you crush Tua for it, well, then you certainly have to take that into account when you're talking about Justin Fields. And I, I just don't know. I think Justin Fields is a great college quarterback. I don't know how he translates to the league. So if I were to rank it, I'm going uh, Trevor Lawrence, far and away number one, Trey Lance out of North Dakota State, number two, and Justin Fields, number three. And let me tell you why I'm I'm pretty high on this Trey Lance kid right now. Trey Lance out of North Dakota State has been awesome. He has, let me see here. I'm trying to look up on Twitter. He's thrown 28 passing touchdowns. He had a 67% completion percentage and threw for nearly 3,000 yards in 2019 alone. He has not thrown a, an interception yet in his collegiate career. And... He has a very strong arm. I mean, honestly, from what little I've watched of him, and I've watched like maybe one or two games plus like some highlight clips of him, uh, he reminds me of Jordan Love like without the turnovers. And what's funny is Jordan Love without the turnovers was 2018 Jordan Love before his final collegiate season where he threw all the picks. So Trey Lance reminds me an awful lot of Jordan Love before he had the bad fall and then came out into the league. So it'll be really interesting to see how Trey Lance does, but I think Trey Lance is a really, really good player. And that's why, now if Jordan Love ends up being really good, then again, all all criticism aside, like it's worth the pick. But if I'm the Packers and I'm looking at it, like, boy, you got these three guys coming out. Now I don't like Justin Fields, but like, what makes you think, like, why not go get Trey Lance? Like, how is he any different than Jordan? Like, you have to have that that long-term scope. And maybe they don't think that because if Lawrence is one and he gets drafted 1-1, then Lance is getting drafted in the top five too. So they probably won't be in range to pick him. And so when you're in range to pick a guy that you believe in, you have to do it. Again, and we talked about this ad nauseum last week, but but Trey Lance is a, is, is a really intriguing prospect and he'll be coming out uh, last year. He'll be coming out this next season. Uh, he had 42 total touchdowns and just one fumble. So uh, Trey Lance is—he's—you don't know him yet, but he's—he's he's very good, and he'll be drafted in the first round. I, I can guarantee. From what little I've seen of him, I can already already tell you he's getting taken in the first round, and he's probably getting taken ahead of Justin Fields. But that'll wrap it up for us today. Pretty long pod. We had a lot to talk about, a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, thank you for sticking with us this long, if you've made it this long. And thank you for making us a part of your week. Uh, I'm Zach Zook for Blitz on the Balcony, and we'll see you next time.